Thank you, Jesus. Thank God for those of you that are watching uh, with us online. We certainly love and appreciate uh, your being here. We believe that this word is something that God wants you to hear and that uh, we've had some opposition getting this word to you. So we know it's a good one. And uh, we're going to challenge you to really um, dig deep in this um, with us today. I'm going to move a little faster in terms of review just to make sure that I get as much done as I can within our allotted time frame. Last week, we talked about the fact that uh, Jesus had a specific structure to the letters that he did in chapter two and chapter three uh, of Revelation. And um, that we said there were these seven components there. Um, it said is a greeting to the to the leader. He spoke to the specific angel or messenger for the church, a specific revelation of Jesus Christ to that church. And I would say not only is a specific revelation to that church, but it, there was within that an acknowledgement of the specific city in which that church is and what the believers face in that region. Pastor David, why that's important? Well, as a pastor, that's really important to me because sometimes if you would listen to your pastor talk and you would listen to your pastor talk to other pastors, I just had a great conversation with a great man of God doing a great work in our city. And we talked about the fact that um, our young people get to a certain age and then they want to leave. And I, we ain't mad at them. I'm not mad at them that, that uh, you know, they get their family together and then because of whatever employment, there's other places that they can go to do their assignment and, and have a flourishing time for their family and so on. I get all of that. But that makes that's a difficult place for you to pastor, because as soon as you get some families up and then then they go. They get you know, you, you help the kids get through college and then they get their degree and then they take all of the stuff and. So it's important to me to know as a pastor that Jesus understands what I'm having to deal with when I'm trying to get this church moving. Okay, now that may not be comforting to everybody, but I'm telling you for a pastor, that's very encouraging because I'm like, Lord, sometimes I think, I, now see y'all don't talk to Jesus like this, but I do. I said, Lord, I mean, you know, them churches down there, man, they they live in the 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 buckle the buckle of the Bible Belt, and they can just get on a street corner and become a mega church. Jesus, it ain't it don't even seem fair someday. Now, y'all may not even think like that. I'm just telling you what I go through, but I'm just glad to know that Jesus understands the city that He assigned me to preach in. All right, so specific revelation of the church acknowledgement of what they did right, calling out what they did wrong. Prescription to resolve issues, to resolve issues, sometimes with consequences for not taking action, reward for overcoming, and admonition to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Um, we also, we talked to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was the hardworking church that had good doctrine, but they loved, their passion wasn't for God. And he, he told them to repent from that. Smyrna was the church. Um, 
Smyrna was a church. They hadn't necessarily had as big works as Ephesus was, um, but they was they was faithful in persecution and, and they was coming for them. On every hand, everything they had, they was taking it. They was they was making them poor um, through persecution. They just wasn't pure because they was lazy and didn't know how to work. They was poor because people were stealing from them um, because of their faith. And God told them that they would be faithful to death, that he would give them the crown of life. Now we're going to read uh, Revelation 2, 12 through 17. And we're going to talk about the churches at Pergamos or some some. Um, some translation call it Pergamum, but just the same thing. All right, so let's look at it. Um, and to the angel of the church at Pergamos, right? These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. That's the revelation of Jesus that they give to this leader. I know your works and where you dwell. I know the city that you're living in and having to preach in. And that's an important thing. But notice what it says about the city in which they live and do ministry, where Satan's throne is. Wow, now that's a tough place to have to have a church. <laughs> a lot of times we say, you know what, I was trying to do ministry, but the devil fought me. And we not we saying the devil, but we really dealing with a low level devil, not the real one. But Jesus says Satan himself had so much authority in that region that he set a throne there. And from that throne, he ran all of his activity in that region. That's that's pretty intense. If it's if it's Jesus making the statement. Now, sometimes people say the devil. No, nah, man, listen, 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 listen. You probably don't rank high enough for Satan himself to be messing with you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying the devil is not omnipresent, so he can't be everywhere at the same time. He has people that he he has spirits that he delegates authority to that then has assignment in different regions. Does that make sense? So it has to it has to get to a certain level before, you know, you got to really be moving for the devil to be coming personally for you. But here they are. And he says that in the time frame they live, Satan had been in this place and he said his, he said his happy, happy self down and put a throne there. And then he ran his global empire from that city. Now, that's a tough place to have church, isn't it? All right. And it says, and you hold fast to my name, even though you are in a tough place, you hold it on to the name above all names. And did not deny my faith. Even in the days, not one day, but many days in which Antipas, who was a member of their congregation, was my faithful martyr who was killed among you. And then he says it again, where Satan dwells. Lord. All right. So that's the good part. Now we're going to get to where it gets tough. But I have a few things against you. He only had one thing against the church at Ephesus, but he said, I got some, I got more than one thing against y'all. And I feel some kind of way. Okay, that's the King David version. Um, 
because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. So Jesus feels very specific about doctrine, what is being taught and preached in church. All right. So you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So there's one bad doctrine there that Jesus is upset with. Got it? Verse 15 says, thus, you also have those who have the hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. All right. So whatever these two things is, Jesus is not happy. Everybody got that? Nobody's confused. So we need to figure out what Jesus don't like and put that stuff someplace else and make sure we stay away from it. Can everybody agree with me on that? Now, let's look at how upset Jesus was about these two doctrines. Verse 16, repent or else I, Jesus, this is Jesus in my Bible, it's in red letters. I will come to you quickly, Jesus, and I, Jesus, will fight. Now, see, I don't even have to know exactly what it is, but if anything gets Jesus fighting mad, can you agree with me that you wouldn't want to do that in church? Can, can we all agree if it makes Jesus fighting mad, I shouldn't want to do it? I will come to you quickly. In other words, you don't got a lot of time to get your act together and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Remember now, he started out saying, I'm the one that has the two-edged sword. And he's saying, listen, this thing to me is so serious that I'm willing to fight over it. I know everybody thinks Jesus is love and there's no fight in him. Love is love. That's all we hear today, isn't it? Love is love. And um, <laughs> um, anytime, if you hate truth, then truth sounds to you like hate speech. To people who hate truth, truth sounds like hate. All right, now let's look at verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. All right. So let's let's deal with that. This is our um, church at Pergamos. There's a lot in this, and that's why we, this is all we're going to do today is talk about this one church. Eight keys to the church at Pergamos. First of all, Pergamos was the governmental center for the region. Right now, when we talked about the church at Ephesus, we said Ephesus was the economic center. So Ephesus was would today be like New York City, where we have the stock exchange and so on. Right. Um, if Ephesus was like New York City, 
then Pergamos is like Washington, D.C. It's the governmental center, right? The political leader who ruled that region of Asia Minor, the title was not president, it was the proconsul. The proconsul answered to the emperor who was like the Caesar in Rome and to the Senate that was in Rome. But in that area, he was God. Got it? He wielded a two-edged sword as the symbol of authority. And he carried that sword with him. And that was a symbol that he had the power of life and death. So what Jesus was saying here, Jesus used this symbol, symbolism to state he think he got the power of life and death, but I'm actually the one that holds the power of life and death. All right. Got that. So that's the first key point on that. Number two, Jesus acknowledged the location of this church, that it was in a place that Satan himself held as his base of activity during that time. This throne was symbolized by the altar of Zeus, which was the largest idol worship gathering in that city. So there was a big area that had a massive altar upon which they, day and night, all throughout that region, would slay all kinds of animals as offerings to the God, right? Now, there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of different altars all around that city because it was an area given to paganism and the occult. Got it? So there was altars to all kinds, but there, there was this massive altar that was there to this, to Zeus, which was considered the king of the gods, if you know anything about Greek mythology. Now, if you've been in, in some schools, you'll study all of this stuff, right? Um, and we study it like it's history. Oh, this was their mythology. No, this was their worship. They was worshiping devils. Let's, let's, not, let's not get it twisted. OK. Um, and so this was a big deal. Now, if you remember, um, we started this whole study. Because back in 2017, in our leadership conference, when Dr. Mark Barkley came, he talked about this altar. And he talked about the fact that. Um, during World War Two. Adolf Hitler found this altar, he deconstructed it and took it back to Berlin where it is today. And that the president of modern day Turkey, because that's where we said the churches in Asia Minor were, is asking, has been petitioning to get it back because he wants to use it to stir up the original gods that's associated with it so that Turkey can rise in power. And many believe that, that that's one of the precursors to Armageddon when all of the, you know, all of the war, war the final world, world, world war, okay? So, um, 
we have to understand that while God is omnipresent, Satan is not. He has to go and he has to be at some place. Right. And so he has set up his operation here. And that from that place, because of the spiritual um, energy associated with that place and because of the, the strategic nature of the city. Right. If you can rule spiritually the place where laws are made. You can influence the whole country, can't you? Right? Now, see, you have to think about the fact there are certain devils that don't leave Washington, D.C. Do not get it twisted. Right? Why? Because they understand if we can influence what happens here, we can have a say of what happens all across this nation and because of the nation's influence all around the world. Got it? And so that's that's what Jesus was describing, that that in this place, Satan himself has set up seat here because from this place, he can make sure anything he wanted happened all around this region. Number three, the church at Pergamos held on to the faith, on to the faith in the name of Jesus for dear life. They held. He said, you, you have held my name. And literally, it means like. Like you're holding on to a life preserver. Even under threat of death due to satanic opposition, because Satan's throne was there and Satan dwelt there, according to the words of Jesus himself. Jesus takes our stance on the gospel personally. He says, you have held on to my faith. Us truly holding and being believers in the midst of persecution is a big deal. Now, listen, last week we talked about Smyrna, right, who was the persecuted church. And then this weekend, this weekend, this Sunday, right when people were just like us coming to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and were in a church, churches in Sri Lanka, serving God and bombs blew up. And sent three of them to heaven, just like Antipas was sent. Now, listen, from Jesus perspective, Jesus, that matters to him. People that that die for the faith, that's a big deal to God. Don't don't think that, that that's huge to Jesus. All right. And it's so big that he wants it recorded in his word that if faced with the threat of death or denying his name, Jesus is asking you to choose death. Now, part of these other doctrines were, well, if we would just go and And, and put some incense to their God, then some of the pressure will get off of us. It ain't that deep. Okay. So now we're here and we're not under threat. We have still a measure of religious freedom in our country. Now, everybody not happy with what you're saying. But there is not a whole nation against us. 
But what about you're in a country that's 1% Christian and 99% Muslim? Because there, there are churches like that. You, you, you go to the Far East, there's people, and they're Christians in countries where they can legally stone you in the street, take all your goods. And, and we can't live in our bubble of American Christianity to say it can never happen here. Think about our slave churches. In the good old U.S. of A. OK, that, that's the seriousness that we have to deal with. So Jesus takes personal our stance to hold true to the gospel, even when we're under threat. Number four, Jesus gives special commendation to a faithful martyr and church member Antipas and to that period of persecution. His name literally anti Anti means against, pas means the whole world. Antipas was willing to stand against everybody. <laughs> if you were with me when I preached at the seven last sayings, I talked about how the thief was going, initially going with the flow, then he just changed his mind and went upstream. Antipas said, I don't care what y'all doing. I'm not going to bow down to your God. He was willing to stand for Jesus alone against the whole system. Church historians state that Antipas was grilled alive in a huge metal furnace shaped like a bull. You know, in the Roman Empire, the, the crucifix, the cross wasn't the only way. They had specialized ways to kill people. They came up with, they, <laughs> they invented ways to murder. So you got to be careful when you watching Facebook and seeing all of the fights and stuff that you don't get into that spirit of the Roman Colosseum. All right. Number five, as great as the church's stand and witness was, Jesus had a few things against them. First, they held they had people who held the doctrine of Balaam, which included idolatry and sexual immorality. And the implication of the word is, is that they held to that doctrine as tight as people held to the name of Jesus. And what was it? Oh, come on, man. All we got to do is go over there to Zeus's temple, throw a little incense at them, you know, worship the, worship the proconsul or the emperor, Say that the Caesar is God, throw a little incense, deny Christ. He'll forgive us. But hold it. Where, where they worshiped the God, they also had temple prostitutes, male and female. So when you went over there, you start to get into whatever else that was there. So you got to be careful when you tell people, Okay, we only going down to the casino because the food is good. All right. Okay. I'm all right. Don't be mad at pastor. Don't be mad at the pastor. 
It's just got good food. But who did you know ain't food? Food ain't the only thing happening there. They had good, I, they had good food at the temples. That's why Paul told them not to eat the meat that's been offered to idols. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Jesus is not going to get me because I didn't tell you. Now, once I tell you what you choose to do with it, it's on you. But I didn't told you your blood is not on my hands. Number the message of compromise says that we can make our lives easier if we just accommodate their gods. Number six. Another group held the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus hated. And I'm going to give you a detailed list on both of these so that you understand both of them. Because whatever they are, we want to stay away from them, don't we? (laughs) Whatever makes Jesus fighting mad, I want to find out what it is. And then I want to step far away from it. Run, do not walk in the opposite direction. All right. Number seven says the threat was so severe that Jesus, the head of the church, threatened to use the power of life and death and fight against the heretics personally. Now, there was this there was this gospel play back in the day that said your arms are too short. To box with God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, if Jesus comes to fight you. I think you can ship your saddle home, baby. You about, you about to get, <laughs> there is no winning in that fight. Can, can I get a witness? Okay, so I want to make sure that I don't pass over this and not understand it in detail because whatever Jesus is angry enough and upset enough to fight about, I want to find out what it is and make sure I'm someplace else. Right. Everybody in the house agree with me on that point. Right. Okay. Number eight. um, The overcomers were promised spiritually sustaining food. That's remember manna was the food that fell from heaven. Even though you're in a persecution time, I'm going to sustain you spiritually so that you can stay in the fight. That's what hidden manna is. And a vote of overcoming victory. A white stone with the new name. So let's talk about that second piece. Um, in in some of their voting, like we have a ballot box. They would use stones of a specific color to say whether they are for or against something, for or against someone, if they were voting on a measure. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to have a stone. I'm going to write your name that I, you are my person. And I'm going to give you a new name, meaning whatever they're calling you, I'm saying you are overcomer. You are victor. When you get into heaven, you're going to have special rewards because you stood up and fought. You get the MVP awards. You get special. Listen, listen, when you stand up against the world, when you get to heaven, there's special rewards for you. Those 300 that went to heaven, man. The angels was there. They were like, yes. These are those that came through great tribulation. They did not deny Jesus. 
They were worshiping his resurrection. And when the enemy came for them, they went into heaven as martyrs. That's a big deal, y'all. Pastor, why are you preaching this so hard? Because when it comes down, I don't want to deny his name. So I want these words on record. Because I want the Holy Spirit, when, I, when I'm being tested, to make sure I come out. I want him to remind me, David, you came back down now. You didn't preach this to the people. You got to do it now. Because some got in those moments and then they denied Jesus. Now, some went back to the world and said, this is just too much. I can't I can't take it. Others repented. After the heat passed, God, I'm sorry. And not all of them. I can't tell you that he didn't receive them, but they don't get the same thing as the person who stood up. Your reward is not good. You're <laughs> okay. God forbid. I'm just giving an example. I'm about to give an example. This is not true. God forbid. I'm just giving an example. Let's say I made my wedding vow to my wife and then I went out on it. Now she may forgive me and take me back. This is just God forbid, this is just an example. I haven't, I'm saying that very clear because I don't want somebody to say I done done something I haven't done. Now, some of these brothers out there saying stuff because y'all done done stuff. I'm not that guy. I just, that needs to be clear. I want that abundantly clear. All right. Now, the fact that she takes me back, if she chooses to, doesn't mean that I have the same, I should get the same reward as the person who, who held to his marital vow even when his relationship was pressured. Does that make sense? And what is what is James says? You adulterers and adulteresses. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. And I don't want to be God's enemy. That's that's why we want to we just want to understand it because I don't I don't want to do anything that makes Jesus so upset with me. Now, Pastor, why else are you preaching this? Because some people don't think Jesus get upset. They just say love is love and whatever you believe is okay, and you can see it one way and I can see it another. There is no absolutes. Jesus loves everybody. Have a good a good friend of mine used to come to my Bible study and stuff. And then, you know, I'm still friends with him on Facebook. But I just read some of his stuff and he's like, no, how can God who loves, how can he, you know, you know, this thing about hell is just some theology people made up. Child, please, you are not. Listen, bruh. Don't I, you can say what you want to. I'm on. Listen, I'm going to stand in front of Jesus and I'm saying, no, Lord, this is what your word said. This is how I preached it. Okay, <laughs> you're not gonna get me off. You're not gonna get me off my stance trying to say, well, it can't be that way. No, man, I'm just reading the words he wrote. Don't let people get you off because they because it becomes it's, it's now politically inconvenient to hold absolute truth. Now, listen, if you out there, you doing your thing, it's not even my business. But in here, 
Oh, I'm going to have something to say about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you don't like that, then you don't come in here. Listen, <laughs> I sat my daughter down. I said, listen here. Listen here, I love you. And you will always be my daughter. I will not disown you and run you out my family. But I'm not going to change the church to our, if you come up with some other lifestyle. I'm not going to say that the Bible somehow didn't say what it said just to make you feel better about yourself. I'm not doing that. Now you can, <laughs> to those who hate truth, truth sounds like hate. I didn't say I hate her, I love her. And I would still love her, whatever she did. But I'm not going to adjust the truth to make her feel better about herself. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it for her. I'm not doing it for you. Does that make sense? It's, that doesn't mean I don't love you. I have to let you choose whatever you want to do. I, 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 I respect your right to be wrong. Because Jesus respects mine. If I make a, if, if as a free will moral agent, if I choose to, to reject Jesus, he will respect that and then make sure that I live out the consequences of that rejection. That don't mean he didn't, that didn't mean he didn't love those people. To those he loves, he rebukes and tells them to repent. So we know he loved them. That's why he was sending John to give him the message. We know he loved them. Love had nothing to do with it. But the deeds that they were doing, the doctrine that they were believing in, he hated. And if they stayed with that, they were going to get the punishment from all that, those that are associated with that doctrine. All right. So, um, there's a lot of scripture that talks about this doctrine of Balaam in Numbers chapters 22 through 25. You should read all of those chapters. Pastor, don't have time to do your homework for you, but I'm telling you, Jesus hated. So if I was you, I would go back and read everything he wrote about it. Right. Numbers 22 through 25 and then Numbers chapter 31. And then you'll see Balaam from beginning to end and everything that God had to say about it. But because I'm your pastor, I gave you a list that gives you the summary notes of it. Welcome. <laughs> All right, so let's look at my list here. Let's look at it. All right, so who is Balaam? Balaam was a soothsayer with spiritual power during the time of Moses' leadership over the children of Israel. That's who Balaam was. So these are eight quick Eight facts about Balaam and Balak from Numbers 22 through 25 and then Numbers chapter 31. All right. Balak was the king of Moab. Now, for those that remember, um, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. Right. Lot's daughters had incest with their father. And then had two sons. One was Ammon from the Ammonites, and the one other one was Moab from the Moabites. This is Moab. So that means these people are cousins to the children of Israel. They're cousins. They're not kissing cousins, but they're still family. All right? 
So Balak was the king of Moab who was scared of how Moses was defeating the Canaanite and Amorite armies at the end of his reign, meaning um, Moses was getting to the point, he's at the end of his 40 years, he's about to go into heaven, all right, because he can't go into the promised land, right? Remember that? All right, number two, Balak called Balaam to curse the children of Israel and sent his elders with money to convince him to do the job. Balaam inquired of the Lord and refused to go with him. All right, go with them. Now, number three, Balak sent more honorable princes. Um, and so when he did that, he first told him, Balaam said no, but then he went to God. and said, well, God, man, man, this offering looked real good, God. Can, can you hook a brother up? Can I just go? God said, if they ask again, go with them. They didn't ask again, but Balaam wanted the money and went anyway. God said, if they ask you one more time, go. They didn't ask one more time. Balaam wanted the offering. Preacher, he wanted the offering and went. Listen, all offerings are not good offerings. Sometimes you need to let the people just stay where they are in a mess and you stay your happy self home. Balaam wanted the money. Now, some people say all preachers, all they want is money. That's not true. But there are some preachers that want money. And Balaam is the sign to them that that's not going to end well for you. Number four says the angel of the Lord threatened to kill Balaam. And when he threatened to kill him, his donkey saved his life. You know the story about Balaam, right? He was going out. He was riding a donkey. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord with the sword in his hand. You got to go back and read it because some people believe that the angel of the Lord with the sword was actually Jesus Christ in pre-incarnate form with the sword. And the angel was there with the sword. Balaam's coming down. He don't see nothing, but the donkey see him and the donkey stop. <laughs> and then he starts to whip on the donkey to make the donkey move. The donkey tried to go around the angel one way, the other way. And then the angel blocked the way he was going to the point where it was so narrow that the donkey bumped his foot and he, he crushed he crushed his foot. You got to go back and read. I'm just giving you the summary version for the sake of time. But go back and read it. And then he beat it. And the scripture says that God loosed the tongue of the donkey. And the donkey said, how long have I been with you? Go back and read it. Now, this is this is the Bible. The donkey said, how long have I been with you? <laughs> <laughs> and the donkey and Balaam said, if I had a sword, I would have killed you. He said, I've done everything you asked me to do. Why are you whooping on me now? And then at that moment, the scripture says that um, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he could now see the angel. 
<laughs> and the angel of the Lord said, that donkey saved your life, bro. Because <laughs> if, you, if you had a step any closer, I was about to cut your head off and I would have left the donkey alive. Now Balaam got religion. Lord, what do you really want me to do now? Verse number five says, now under the threat from God, Balaam went to the king and blessed Israel several times as, as Balak asked him to curse them. Balak was frustrated with Balaam because his bribe didn't work to change his prophecy. And listen, Balaam's prophecies is some of the most anointed words in the Bible, man. I mean, like the Lord gave him some real truth, but scripture still calls him a false prophet because the false prophet was not because of his message, but because of his motive. Now you talking about that. Now see, this is a message for preachers too. I got to listen. I got to check my heart when I got to come in here and do this. I, I can't be doing all of the right saying all of the right things for all of the wrong reasons. Because my motive going to eventually come out and get me. All right. Number six, and this is where it gets crazy. This is the crazy part. Because he was motivated by money. Balaam taught Balak that while he couldn't curse Israel, he could get Israel to curse itself by luring them to sleep with Moabite women and serve the Moabite god Baal Peor. This brought judgment to Israel. That's where it gets. He's like, listen. He tried every angle he could. He said, you're looking at him at the front. Why don't you go around to the backside, look at the, look at the tail end, and then you can curse him from there. And he'd get over there, and, and the Holy Spirit would come up on him and give him a word. Then he'd do it again. He's like, man, I'm trying to make you rich. I want to give you this money, but you ain't doing what I, what I, want, I need you to do. And he wanted the money so bad that he said, listen, listen, listen. I can't prophesy a curse on him. You get some of them fine more by women. You let them come down there and invite them to your temple altar. Have them dressing, looking good. Give them eye candy. There it is. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what happened. And then all of a sudden, Israelite men who had Israelite women? It, was, they, it wasn't like there wasn't no women in church. <laughs> I am preaching really good up here. But because of the eye candy, they went to the women and then went to the women's God. Number seven says, God ultimately judged the leaders and the people who sinned worthy of death. And Moses had to go in and clean house by the thousands. Also, Balak and Balaam and their people were judged, too. Now look at number eight. Balaam goes down in history as the example of a false preacher motivated by money. 
And I got two New Testament scriptures that talk about this. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to read down to chapter 2, verse 3. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of men, by, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, or by the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, in, in my head I often see King James. I learned them in King James, not New King James. That's why I say the Holy Ghost. All right, now let's look at verse 1 of chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. That's right. That means Jesus is coming quickly to handle it. Isn't that what that says? Look at verse 2. And many will follow their destructive ways. See, you can't, listen, I, I have to judge when people come preaching here because I don't want people to follow wrong teaching. God's going to deal with me if that happens. Pastor, you didn't have to do it like that. When you stand for Jesus as the person that gives account for the congregation, then I'm going to let you make the decision. But until then, I'm going to make the call. I get to call the strikes and the balls. Why? Because I'm the one that's got Jesus going to look at me first. He ain't coming to you first. Even in Balaam's day, God had them had them hang a thousand judges before he started dealing with the people. He always starts with leadership first. He always starts with leadership first. All right. Um, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, by covetousness, because they want money, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Now, see, I just want you to know these words are not in the Old Testament. This is Second Peter. So there is stuff that God judges in the New Testament that can get you killed. I know people don't think that's true. I know there's a lot of people say that's not true because God is love. And if God is love, love won't let you burn. Child, please. You can get on God's bad side. That's what that said. What he said, swift destruction. That means he coming quickly to get that. Yeah, that's exactly what that means. All right. Now let's skip down. verse 12. We're going to read this verse 16. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, made to be caught and destroyed, made 
to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness. The wages of sin is death and payday always comes as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their deception while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are all accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. I read this and said, are you smarter than Anyway, I'm going to keep that. <laughs> I'm going to keep that one moving. <laughs> I'm going to keep that moving. Okay, turn to Jude. Jude only has one chapter, and I'm going to read verses 4 and 11. Are you getting some out of this? Verse 4 says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people say God has so much grace that you can live like hell and still go to heaven. All right, because grace, it's all grace, it's all grace, it's all grace, it's all grace. God will forgive everything, and so I can live however I want to. But this scripture tells me that these people are marked for condemnation. Verse 11 says, woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. All right, that's something I need to study. What is the way of Cain? Cain, after he killed his brother, went from the presence of God. God didn't send him out. He left on his own. The way of Cain says, God, you stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. That's the way of Cain. Then he says, have ran greedily in the air of Balaam. Balaam got into error because he wanted profit. Now, listen, your pastor believed that preachers don't have to be poor. But child, please, I am not going to just tell you what you want to hear so that my pockets stay full. All money is not good money. It's not. OK, so we have to be people. Listen, there are churches that if you tell them how they really living, they will boycott. They will stage a sit-down strike. <laughs> Friend of mine went to a church. They stopped paying their pastor, not because he was sinning. They didn't understand that spirit stuff he was doing in church, praying and laying hands on the sick. What? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So now if he had a went with the program, the money would have kept flowing. 
I'm just saying. And then the third part of this is and perish in the rebellion of Korah. Korah is the one who rose up against righteous leadership. All right. So we understand that these people were under intense pressure. And some people said, if you would just, you know, I know you're a Christian, but go down to the Million Man March. Because, you know, the minister Farrakhan say some really good words. Child, please. Oh, we're going to have a funeral and um, we need we need him to come, you know, give a sermon in your church. Pastor David ain't quite that one. <laughs> we got to be careful. I think about this stuff and I said, Lord, like I told you a story last week about the, the, the guy that was on my team went to India and and it was a business. I didn't think they was going to ask him. I didn't think they was going to have a worship service at at the job. I didn't know that. I, I sent him because I didn't have time to go. And I'm like, God, I don't. I shudder to, 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 to think what would have happened if I had been caught off guard and placed in a situation where they have a whole worship service with incense and flowers. And they're, they're all laying hands and doing prayers over this equipment. Lord, I said, God, you spared me because I don't... I mean, you know, I would like to think I would have done it right, but I don't know. Jesus seemed like he he brought, he got Pastor David out of a situation. So I may not have done it. Now I wish I could say I know I would have done the right thing. I don't know. I, this was not as clear to me as the way I studied this out now. Do you see how, what, what kind of stuff we get when, that's why we got to read books that we've been avoiding. Because <laughs> I didn't, I mean, I'm, I didn't have it like this until I'm like, Lord Jesus, this, like, you got that mad over that Jesus? Now I've been like, nah, Jesus got a sword out there, man. <laughs> I mean, we good and stuff. But see, I hadn't read that. I didn't know that. Do you understand how serious some things can be? All right. All right, so let's get on to my last list for the day. Eight key facts about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Eight key facts. The Nicolaitans. Yes, yes, yes. So let's start at number one. The Nicolaitans, according to church historians, were disciples of the deacon Nicholas in Acts chapter 6. So let's look at Acts chapter 6, verse 5. Remember, do you remember how the deacons were, were instituted in Acts chapter 6? There were um, Greek, Greek-speaking Jews versus those that were native to Israel, and they were all in the church. And then the Greek-speaking widows were not getting fed by the by the people, so they would feed the local people. They would feed their homegirls first, and then the people that was far away that spoke a different language. Okay, y'all, y'all, y'all in the church and stuff, but y'all still kind of second-class citizens. So they got their stuff. And then they brought the issue to the apostles and the apostles instituted the deacons, right? And then let's look at Acts chapter six, verse five. 
And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Icanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. What does it say about Nicholas? A proselyte. A proselyte. That's how you pronounce the word. A proselyte from Antioch. Okay. Now look at number two on my list. A pro, being a proselyte meant that he wasn't born Jewish, but had converted to Judaism from some pagan religion, from paganism. Right. Having converted once to Judaism, he converted again to Christianity. So he he made two jumps to become a Christian. Got it. He made two jumps. Have you ever played like checkers? Sometimes you make one jump and then you go one, two, double jump. He double jumped to become a Christian. Now look at number four. Through his many conversions, Nicholas developed an open-minded nature to religions. Nicholas, Nicolaitans, therefore, were comfortable with Judaism, Christianity, and paganism simultaneously. They believed in no absolute truth. No sound or unsound doctrine, no separation from the world through holiness, and no single way to heaven. It was all, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. You may not serve the God the way I serve him, but it's, they're all equal. They're all paths to enlightenment. Now, remember, what did we say? Jesus hate. This is stuff Jesus hate. Right, that's a strong word. If he hadn't used it, I wouldn't use it. But I don't want to put words in his mouth. I let him put his word in my mouth. That's why I tell you what he said. Okay. Number seven says, while Ephesus fought against the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, some some in Pergamos had given over to the doc their doctrine, and Jesus hated it. Remember the Ephesian church, he said. You one thing that you do good is you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Why? Because people like this, they're ecumenical. They say, well, okay, we're just gonna have all of these interfaiths and we can all just come, you know. And I, I've told you the story that we went to to um a meeting here for uh a Chris, uh, not a Christian group, a religious group in our city and they had a person pray and the person got in a Christian church pulpit and started praying to Moses and Confucius and Buddha. And I, I'm closing my eyes because we about to dismiss and then I'm opening my eyes like, because I'm like, we in a church. No, nah, man. If you come into Destiny Generation Church and start praying to something, I'm going to lay hands on you suddenly. We're not we're not doing that. No. We stopping the service right now. We're not going to wait to dismiss and then fix it later. You understand what I'm saying? It's that serious, y'all. Because Jesus hates it. 
I'm not trying to come for nobody. I, I wouldn't go into a mosque trying to disrespect them and what, what they want to worship. The scripture don't tell us and church history don't tell us that they went in there and started trying to do stuff and they think, but you come into my house, the house I'm responsible for, which is God's house, then I'm responsible to hold an order. And if I don't, Jesus will look at me personally and hold me accountable. It's that serious. And we got to treat it like it's as serious as it is. All right. Number eight, the church was required to repent or face the judgment of Jesus himself. And as I said before, your arms are too short to box with God. Woo! This is serious, isn't it? Okay. We learned some things about this church at Pergamos that we don't ever want to forget. We don't ever want the, the Lord to be displeased with us. Listen, this, this stuff makes pastor have to go back. It's one of the reasons why I don't, I don't, I don't go down with the Halloween services in church. That's why I call it Resurrection Sunday. I don't call it Easter because Easter comes from Ishtar. The bunny and the egg were fertility symbols for sex. Now I'm like I'm 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 like the kids, right? I I don't need a reason to eat candy. Amen. I don't I don't need a special holiday. You can give me candy any day of the week and I'm good with it. Can I get an amen? You good with that? Okay. Thank you. For the, for the video those I had some young people. They say we don't need a special day to eat candy. You want to get Church want to give candy, that's fine. But watch the symbolism. Because this stuff didn't come out of nowhere. These symbols meant something. Ah, you trying to be too deep. Okay. Then you stand before Jesus and then you let him tell you what he want to tell you. But I got to, we got to look at this stuff as serious as it is. 